0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: Your last day of vacation
2: and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath, then a two-hour nap because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Price picks is
0: the easiest, the most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to
2: $100. I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, suboptimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy
3: Row Studios in the Crab. Part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Roger. Ah, oh, David. Winter's here. Winter is here. It was snowing this morning. The Uggs are out all over the city. No, the Uggs should not be out. It is wet today. I had to lecture my daughters. You don't wear your Uggs in the rain, Roger. Why are you letting
0: them wear Uggs in the first place? I
3: have fully. What kind of a father are you? I have disgusting. no control over over their footwear.
0: I tell you, the world is divided into sweater-loving people. Yeah. And summer-loving people who love the short sleeve, tight-fitting mm-hmm. T-shirt. I love the sweaters. But the Uggs are almost making me die
3: for spring again. I much prefer summer but I don't like oh. tight-fitting t-shirts so I, I must go into some third category I'm a winter which person David. you're a winter person yeah. oh god I'm a spring summer fall person golf weather you p- can't play golf in New York City in winter Rog
0: love chestnuts on the fire.
3: Oh, Arlo White talking away on the television. Chestnuts are overrated. Arlo White talks on the television in August and May. It's what I much prefer it. <laughs> uh, talking of Arlo White, we've got Arlo White coming up later. He's going to, you know, something we explore with him a little on our radio show, Rog, the, the secrets of broadcasting. How do you actually prepare for and commentate on a Premier League game?
0: We only have 40 minutes to wait. Yeah. And then we'll find, he'll tell us and then we'll be able to put him out of business.
3: So uh, in the uh, papers I have received from your extensive research team, Rog, under the category of I Love Men, Piotr Pavlensky, Rog, a 29-year-old Russian performance artist and political activist, nailed his scrotum to the cobblestones of Red Square this week in a painful act of protest against the nation's descent into a police state. Did
0: he watch it? I didn't watch it. I heard about it. I read about it. The video. Amazing. So, I'm in awe of this, man. In I've, awe of him. I feel like we have to have a brief
3: discussion about the, what categorizes, for me, I love men. Because, <laughs> for me, I love men is not a 29-year-old Russian performance artist nailing his scrotum <sighs> to the cobblestones of Red Square. That is isn't. That is. men are crazy. That is, bra- that is men are as crazy as women. <laughs> that is
0: bravery, David. I can't think of a... Of a more sympathetic, gentle, but probably more practiced police division in scrotal nail removal than the Moscow police. You don't mess with your own scrotum, Rog. (laughs) I'm sure they have an elite division just for that very task in Moscow.
3: God, they look like they were dying to rip it out for him. You do not mess with a man's scrotum, and a man does not mess with his own scrotum.
0: Can I tell you, Pavlensky, I've looked him up. His work involves bodily public actions to protest power mechanisms. He previously sewed his mouth shut to protest the arrest of Pussy Riot. Uh-huh. And then he lay naked on barbed wire to prote- protest other harsh laws. Someone needs to give him, like, oil painting set or some watercolours or something. Yeah. He's uh, Can we talk very quickly about Pussy art Riot? performance art I've got a problem with. Nazelda Tolokinuknova. Yeah. Been missing Pussy Riot for three weeks. Yeah. Almost as long as Josie Altador. Uh-huh. But a massive concern, Dave, I have to say, in a country about to kick off the Winter Olympics. Yeah. And the 2018 World Cup. Yeah. Whenever NBC promote the city, the Olympics are in. I think about you saying the American word for football. Saka. Sochi. Sochi. They should hire so you, David, just to do the VO.
2: Saka. Oh,
3: I don't know. I don't know, Rog. Well, that is. I do love men. I just want to make it very clear. I love men, but not for any performance art-related I think he's a man's reasons. man. I'll tell you this for me. Watch that video and tell me what he's not doing. This is performance art, art, Rog. The uh, Guinness Book of Records have contacted us to see if we will mount a world record attempt at Joe's Pub on on December 9th.
0: Yeah, what would be the world records that would be attempted? I don't know. I've got to say, I'm quite honoured, Dave, that they've reached out to us. Major part, I think, of both of our charms. Yeah, both of us grew up
3: watching. uh, Number one, we used to buy the Guinness Book of World Records. We used to get it for Christmas every year. Um, And. Uh, there was a TV show, The Record Breakers. Mm-hmm. Ross and Norris McWorter Twins. And uh, from Guinness Book of World Records were on it with Roy Castle. Yeah, the great Roy Castle. Yeah,
0: Record Breakers. If you're the shortest, the fattest, then, 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 you're a record breaker. Then, then. Yep, the IRA sadly killed one of the they McWhirters. Did. The other one carried on without him. Yeah. Can I say, as a child, I was mesmerized by uh, the retired Indian photographer Shridi Chilal who didn't cut his fingernails for 50 years.
2: Oh, I remember that. (laughs) I remember exactly that photo. There was a photo
0: of him. He had the world's longest nails on his left hand. It actually disfigured his left hand. Uh, He had to cut them off in the end (laughs) due to pain and trouble sleeping. I've got to look up a photo of this guy because it traumatized me as a child. Maybe we should try and mount that record at Joe's Pub. I think they want us to do a collective record with the GFOPs in attendance. Anyone who has an idea, any GFOPs who have an idea, send it in. We will try and break that record.
3: Yeah, big show today, Rog. We're going to rumble through uh, all the games that matter from this weekend. So many. Almost all of them, yeah. actually. Uh, we're going to grapple with your Ravens. <sighs> they like it when it gets cold outside on the ledge. And we're going to welcome GFOP Arlo White back onto the pod. Now he's all grown up as NBC's voice of the EPL, or the BPL, as they like to call it. Uh, rog, so 11 38ths of the way through the Premier League season. That does not reduce... No. It only goes the opposite of reduce. It goes up to 22, 76s, but it's 11, 38s. Um, it's preposterous. We've got like nine teams, eight teams, within five, six points of each other at the top of the Premier League. And yeah. we've never seen a situation like this. Eleven. I don't remember
0: a situation like this, 11, into the Premier League Let season. me ask you this, Dave. As yeah. was a television man. Yeah. To me, the Premier League the flipping narrative the storylines they're becoming so preposterous it's starting to feel like a writers room on homeland series 3 where they know the narrative's jumped the shark but they're just pressing on grimly for syndication does any team want to win this thing david Well, i Do think they- actually on the narrative level
3: i think sports writers are really struggling right now because they don't know they're going to made to look like mugs on anything they write about any team they're going to come out and they're going to it's going to haunt them it's very, very difficult to write anything declarative about any of the top teams in the Premier League. Yep. A lot of people, Manchester United, starting to make people look like mugs from the weekend. Well, let's One look at them. Nil versus Arsenal. You know, Arsenal, their first big test since they went five points clear. I think we said last week that squeaky bum time is starting early, and they certainly played like it, Rog. A re energised United. They had like 17 midfielders propelled by a relentless Wayne Rooney. What a performance! They won courtesy of an RVP header. The Dutchman scored against his former club for the third time, Rog, and uh, <laughs> was subjected to some pretty unbelievable abuse from the uh, away support.
0: Was he ever? This was the week in which David Moyes finally realised he'd been reading the Manchester United instruction manual upside down oh. for the last couple of months. He got it. I mean, what a performance! Vibrant energized, relentless from Manchester United. It was a funny, funny emotion at the beginning, seeing Wenger on the touchline, but no Fergie. Yeah. It was like the Hannibal Lecter franchise when Jodie Foster was ditched as Clarice and they went gingy with Julianne Moore. Uh Uh-huh. And it was just Blair, Hannibal, didn't really like it. But the result was the same. Do you know, Arsene Wenger has gone 14 times to Old Trafford Uh and won just once. And in this game, United came out hammer and tongs, which is uncharacteristic for them. In games this season, they just dominated the first 20 minutes. Well, if minutes.
3: hammer and tongs means Phil Jones and uh, and Shinji Kagawa, uh, it's a pretty apt description. I mean, certainly that change in midfield. And then what he did with, frankly, a lot of central midfielders, not a lot of wide people, but they swarmed Arsenal. And, you know, the way I love the way that NBC used those little graphics, the little circles with people's names on it. It really <laughs> helps me. And they swarm... Um, uh, every Arsenal player, when he was on the ball, Ozil, I mean, suffocated, snuffed out of yeah, this game. Some,
0: someone hacked, a Manchester United fan hacked into his Twitter account, yeah, and changed his location to Phil Jones's pocket. <laughs> Proof that there is truth in humour. I thought Phil Jones. We laugh at Phil Jones. He's got funny faces. He's Looks got like Beaker, spasm, <laughs> the body yeah. control. But he showed intelligence. He showed strength. He showed leadership. Um, and, and they, Arsenal were pummeled first half you didn't hear the word Ozil you didn't really hear Santi Cazola yeah. Ramsey looked panicked Giroud yeah. his name was barely mentioned uh, and then the best Arsenal striker of them all RVP, flicked on a delicious Rooney corner again calculated that angle to propel it right into the corner and my god how much did he love that day oh my word it's just,
3: you know some people scoring against their former teams brings them no joy brings them no joy it brings, Calm down, him, it brings him an awful lot of joy.
0: Yes, yeah, celebrate against your own club. Three, as you said, three goals in three games. And this was a game of poisonous chants. There were accusations from one set of fans uh, about one of the players, RVP, being a rapist. Uh, Counter charges about paedophilia and Arsene Wenger. This was bitter, dark stuff. And before the game day, though, Wenger claimed that Robin Van Persie will, quote, always be an Arsenal man. That was his quote, always an Arsenal man. If there was a Hall of Fame, which there isn't for football, an RVP definitely would be in it, though, would he choose to enter that Hall of Fame wearing a United baseball cap where he's been for three seasons? Or would he don that Arsenal cap eight seasons? That's where he became a legend. Well, he might just choose Holland.
3: Might be easy to go in as Holland. But frankly, after those chants from the Arsenal fans, I mean, he's not going to go in as a convicted rapist from the Arsenal mob.
0: (laughs) There's absolutely no way. Um, Arsenal, flat. Rattled, sluggish, passes uncalibrated. I mean, United did play really, really, really well. Arsenal did lack their usual guile. They had 60% of possession. They did so little with it. And we've talked about it. Well, before. they had no, they had no space in the passing lanes. They had and no they had, ability to go and hit the passing. And lanes. they had nobody to bring on to change things. Yes. Nick, Nicholas Bentus, stumbled on. Even he looked yeah. confused that he was. He, even he it's couldn't like, believe me. me? You bringing me on? The rumours now: Benzema, Benteke, Royce. Uh, about the incoming players GFOP at Joe Reader said Arsenal's performance today Reminded me of Mrs Patmore Before she got her eyes fixed Look, How Arsenal dare you?
3: are still top, Rog And they are deservedly top uh, They have lost two games all season They've drawn one Those are the only games They've lost any points in Lost a combined uh, You know What's it uh, Eight points all season They're still good And they're likely to bounce back And be brilliant next week but what Manchester United did is, is the effect Ozil is a new player in the Premier League. And what tends to happen is other teams tend to figure out how to play against these new players for a few weeks. They have it all their own way. And I think... Manchester United played certainly a different way. I think a lot of other teams will now look at the way that United played against them, and I think they're going to pack the midfield, it's
0: interesting. and they're going to
3: swarm all over them. I think, secondly, two really interesting points about, about David Moyes, and you have to give him respect. We've given him a lot of criticism in <sighs> yes, this did. pod. We've got to show him some respect for what he's done. One, the performance he's getting out of Wayne Rooney, a man with whom he has had a more than complicated relationship. It's a... Um, you know, he just performances. Wayne Rooney is playing some of the best Premier League football of his career right now. A
0: total, total football. And three months ago, he was crazy, old Wayne. Yeah. Disgruntled, want away. Now he's the team pillar. Within three months, credit where credit's due. Yes, yep. David Moyes credit. And secondly, Phil Jones, a player who looked
3: for all the world this weekend like one of the best young footballers in the world. And this is a guy who came onto the scene two seasons ago and has frankly been a little bit lost. Occasionally has looked great, but has played in so many different positions. In holding midfield, in uh, at centre-back, at right-back. I think he's even turned out at left-back and wide in midfield for Manchester United and England. Um, he's a guy who we've said that we fear that this is a guy who will never find his best position. Who will never find his best position, will never actually make it. It's like Phil Neville. Yeah. But... It looks like his best position is midfield, and he was more than just a holding midfielder in this game. I mean, he is inventive, he is creative, he can possess the ball, he is a vicious tackler, he's a great competitor. He has deceptive pace. Really, it's not all positioning, he actually has pace. Um,
0: And I think that he could be a big secret. After the game, Phil Jones said, United are inspired by everyone, quote, hating them. So I've started sending out positive love vibes immediately. Rooney, amazing, all over the field, willpower, potency, self-loathing, a combustible mix. Something about playing Arsenal that makes him go all mummy returns on them. He always has a great game, comes alive. Uh, And it was lovely to see him when RVP scored just dry hump him on the ground. After the game, well, the press reported it. It, What Rooney really said was blah, 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 which the press reported as it's been a great weekend for us. Ahead of the international break, our aim is to be top or thereabouts at the new year. Just five points back now, Dave. Three straight Premier League victories for David Moyes. Can they do that? Yeah, I think they can. I mean, you look at the way that everybody else is playing.
3: Certainly, they've proven that they're a better team than Arsenal. They just beat them this weekend. Um, Chelsea, we're going to get to in a second. Very, very unconvincing home At Stamford Bridge, performance for Chelsea against West Brom. Uh, Tottenham slipping up.
0: And they play them. Cardiff, Tottenham and Everton, their next uh, couple of games.
3: Big games coming up. Big games coming up. And we'll see. It's just, these are the conversations, though. What I'm struck by is that the way a lot of these teams are performing, this is something that happens 32-38, 31-38 through the Premier League season. They're playing. We've entered squeaky bum time about... 27 games early That's a very it, It's an odd Thing That people I think these teams Are playing nervous I think their managers Are a little bit nervous
0: Right now It's non, just odd None more Than Jose Mourinho
3: Oh Rog This is going to cause uh, Me considerable pain To talk about this game Chelsea 2 West Bromwich Albion uh, 2
0: Chelsea eke out a point to defend their proud home record under Mourinho. But that 96-minute penalty, Davo, from Eden Hazard. Yeah. And a controversial dive from Ramirez. That's what it took, Davo. Yeah. I'm not
3: convinced it was a dive, it but it was definitely a controversial penalty. Look, my rule on penalties, Rog, I've said it before, and then we'll get it because I actually think to talk all about the penalties is a distraction from the game because, frankly, a point does Chelsea no good anyway. These are games that you've got to win. I don't think I've seen penalties that were, you know, some of my mates, it's potentially Liverpool fans, were giving me grief about this. You know, no Liverpool fan having watched what Suarez has done in the Premier League, no Man United fan who has watched what Ashley Young has done in the Premier League, can uh, can give Ramirez any uh, <sighs> trouble David. on a dive. It was a with the benefit of replay, with the benefit of seeing the angle where it came from, it looked like a harsh penalty. However, when you looked at it. Differently from how the commentators in the game called it, when you looked at it from behind, which is where the referee was, the player came across, he can't see who's behind and who's in front. You have seen them given, you have seen them not given, and that's the only thing you can say about penalties. It left the refs the decision to do. And I think at the end of the game, West Bromwich Albion, who were looking like they were going to win that game, I think they just allowed Chelsea too much time on the ball, let them come onto them, and didn't didn't hold out for the whole
0: ninety minutes. I think, even, I think even, they deserved. E- even, Ashley, even Ashley Young would have said that was embarrassing. That was a, that was <laughs> nah, a, it wasn't a, at that level. So, and I, I want to say in, in the annals I of say, bad, it was, the it was embarrassing. Penalties, the referee was complicit, even, and he should be named. There. It was a poor, it was as poor a decision as I've seen this season. Andre Mariner, former record store clerk turned postman turned professional referee, apparently a Villa fan too. Daveo. shame on you. Frederick Douglas's quote. Came to mind, Dave, when I watched it, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel society is organised conspiracy to oppress, rob and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. But let's talk about the game. Communist.
3: I think that you've seen way worse decisions in the Premier League. You will see way worse decisions this season given on penalties, and I will point them out on a weekly basis when they are given. Uh, having said that, Andre Mariner had a very, very poor game. And this sort of leads me to one of my other things is in when I said that this, you know, this is already like the end of a season, not like 11.38 of a season. Referees are very early in the season, week after week after week after week, making or not making very, very big calls, which are affecting the outcome of a lot of games. Mm -hmm. And there's just a small part of me that thinks that the referees... (laughs) There might be some great referee conspiracy in a season when there's great parity, that the council of referees in their black hats and their that they, cones, that they their like cone to wear hats. Their, cone hat, their cone hats that they like to wear might have got together and said, "Well, maybe we'll decide the Premier League season this mm-hmm. year. Maybe we'll decide who wins Con- it." Concussion is it. It. getting
0: too much press. We must insert Let's ourselves. Let's not into let the anybody
3: headlines. get too far above or too far behind. Let's get eight teams all within five points of each other with two games to go in the season. We could actually have eight games. If eight teams are tied, 37 38s into the season, Rog, we'll know that it's the referee's conspiracy. Nice nice conspiracy theory.
0: Perhaps uh, an attempt to deflect from the languid fair. Chelsea, oh, no, so I'm predictable, not. they lacked any spark in the midfield. They just seem to be unable this season to break down inferior opponents who kind of play with men banked up against them. And I must say, I feel partly responsible, because Oscar, who had been playing so beautifully, Dave, uh, I wrote a piece praising him. Yeah, I compared his play and his leadership to Ancient History's Alexander the Greek, Katniss Everdeen, and my favourite, the twin brothers Johnny and Luther Hutu. And I got hundreds of angry tweets from Chelsea fans saying, How dare you compare Oscar to the Hunger Games powerhouse? But <laughs> no one took me to task for comparing him to a pair of 11 year old cigar wielding guerrilla fighters from Burma. <laughs>
3: I have not read the piece. I do need to read the piece. I've heard several people have emailed me and told me how fantastic it is. Look, Oscar was fine in the game. I think this is the this is the thing I'm struggling with as a Chelsea fan right now. Chelsea have barely had a decent performance in the Premier League all season. In fact, I would say that Chelsea's best performance was one that they were so vilified for, which was the away 0-0 draw at Manchester United, which at least was... A workmanlike performance, about which felt to me at the time like they were fighting a campaign to win the Premier League. Chelsea's inability, week after week, to play even their most creative, almost committed football. Rog, just look at the difference in the way that Chelsea played football in the final 20 minutes of this game when they were two, when they were two-one down, versus the complete lack of commitment and lack of energy that this team has showed two weeks in a row in the first half of their games. I agree. They're not even really going out there and trying very hard. It's as if they feel that they are better than their opposition when they walk out on the field. And by
0: the way, I agree, because the only surprise when they went 2-1 down was that there was no surprise. Chelsea used to be so potent. Cessignon. Broke through the middle, rattled them, rolled the ball at Check, who fumbled it. Known in the trade as Joe Harting it into the net. Yeah, totally. Peter Cech, my mate Michael Cohen, huge Arsenal fan, used to say, when Peter Check was playing, it was as if Chelsea took the field with a 1-0 lead. But the way he fell, it reminded me of my 74-year-old father falling over in the back garden. Yeah. I mean, it may be time for Peter Cech. It may be time. Shane Long heading home a rebound as John Terry watched on flat-footed. Um, well three defenders watched on flat footed and Peter Cech just stayed on his ass. Stam- I mean it was it Stanford was Stamford Bridge. A- Stamford Bridge
3: eerie, like a quiet car on an Amtrak train. Yeah. It's very,
0: very odd I emailed
3: David. my uh, my nephews and gave them part of the blame for the loss for making not enough noise. There are only two of them, but it was it was you're right, there's no atmosphere in that stadium. The players aren't frankly inspiring any atmosphere. The first half performances again and again have been listless listless, except in Europe. In Europe where they're playing much better football they seem up for it on a midweek night they don't seem up for it in the Premier League right now and that has to be concerning um yeah look you look at the individual performances individually everyone played fine um I do think that the goals were uh somewhat opportunistic but there are going to be opportunistic goals and when you're playing a little bit listless, and you give teams belief that they can go... And frankly, for a team to have belief under a Jose Mourinho Chelsea team, for a team like West Bromwich Albion to think that they've got a shot of beating Chelsea at Stamford Bridge... And frankly, should have beaten Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And the fact that it was a draw, not a loss, to me makes no difference whatsoever. It was a massive loss of three points in a week when Arsenal lost to Man U and they should have been catching up and they should have been doing it.
0: Steve Steve Clark agreed. He said, I'm sad, I'm angry, but I'm very proud. Is yeah. What he said. It's words look, Albion word, deserve a lot of credit Words for I'd love on played. my tombstone, Dave. I'd, yeah. I'd love them on my tombstone. Mourinho, in his post-game comments, yeah. uh, he, he looked like he uh, he just had a fight, by the way, with Jonas Olsen. Uh, called him a Mickey Mouse defender. Two guys squared up to each other. He looked like a man who'd been sleeping in his car for twelve nights straight. He was battered, puffy-eyed, haggard. He looked like a man who'd been following the David Moyes beauty regime. And he used to look so suave, Davo. But when I look at him now, all I can see is bubbles from the wire.
3: And yet, and all of this, and all of this said, and I think we have to mention. Um, that you know Chelsea fans who are going to insist that the second goal should not have stood because of the foul that was committed on Ivanovic in the in the in the last half let's not forget the goal that Chelsea scored against Arsenal last season which is exactly the same thing happened in the build up you cannot be calling back and discounting goals because of fouls that happened you know 30 seconds before in the build up despite all of this Chelsea who do not based <laughs> on that performance do not deserve to be sitting there with a legitimate shot of winning the title sitting still at the front of the peloton, reeling in the lead cyclist, who's suddenly looking a little bit out of breath and, and sort of perhaps a little, you know, like there isn't quite that amount of belief that you would have thought a couple of weeks ago. And Chelsea are very, very much a contender. This is an odd Premier League well, season, let's rog. look
0: parenthetically at the team that have averaged 60% possession... Yeah. ...yet find themselves in eighth. Well, Rod, confusing results as bad...
3: You know, we started on the radio show this week saying who had the worst result this weekend? Was it Arsenal's loss against Man United? Was it Chelsea's draw-slash-loss against West Bromwich Albion? Was it, you know, we're going to get to everybody else uh, down the table, including your beloved Nigel. But Man City going to Sunderland and losing one nil. Rog. Um, Phil Barsley's goal condemns them to a fourth away defeat in six games. They've lost four games this season, Rog. Man City, with all of those players... Uh, new Sunderland
0: boss Gus Poyer holds this as his best win ever. Was this is a, a surprise. Sunderland have won each of their last four Premier League home games against City by one goal to nil. 1-0, nil, Davo. It's the Premier League's version of Dos Acero. And what redemption in this game for Phil Bardsley. De Canio, remember yeah. him? Called him arrogant and ignorant mm-hmm. after he was photographed posing with £50 notes in a casino. Uh, and then when Sunderland lost the opening game, of the season, he Instagrammed, great opening day, and was suspended and kicked out of training, but now this former Manchester United player is a born-again hero.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, City, new manager, team in transition, $146 million worth of new players, um, had so much of the ball, but did so little with it. Huge drop-off between Vincent Company and, and Nastasic at the back, and in this game, Martin de, de and Jolian Lescott. I mean, de, de McKellis is Poor decision-making just seems summed up by his haircut, this ill-advised undershave that suggests he likes Antonio Banderas's performance in Desperado a bit too much. What I don't understand is City have scored 20 in five home games, just eight in six yeah. games on the road. Do you understand how that can be, well, David?
3: Even Billy Bean said last week on the pod that he doesn't understand, frankly, away form in the Premier League and how teams have such an advantage at home. So there's no way I can explain it.
0: Um, It was one of my favourite moments of the weekend, Gus Poyer's face when Sunderland scored. He was just in pure shock, as if goals weren't meant to be part of his game plan.
3: Yeah. I think that, you know, I've now had three Man City fans, including uh, Mark Televisions, Mark Consuelos last night, Rod, who have said to me, yeah, we're focusing on the Champions League this season. We're focusing on the Champions League. That is the narrative for Man City fans. And perhaps midweek football for this team for this squad champions league and premier league is too much for them to focus on but you'd think with the size of that squad you would think with the uh, the quality of those players just look at the lineups before when the game started and they showed the lineups on both sides of the balls i was like <gasps>
0: not in the face not in the face but sunderland have wes brown day he's big he's bad he's wesley brown the yeah. hardest man in all the town
3: yeah always quite liked him as a footballer as well uh, Rog another unbelievable result to me Tottenham 0 Newcastle 1 Tottenham dominate they dominated the game uh, could not find the net as Tim Crawl had well I'm not sure it's the game of his life he had another amazing game he was in this kind of form
0: uh, two seasons ago uh, to hold Spurs at bay oh, anyone who suffered Dave from yeah. a serious bout of constipation yeah. will not laugh at Spurs play uh-huh. one goal from open play since prohibition was lifted, uh-huh. around somewhere around Brad Friedel's birthday, he was exhumed for this game. I, I, if I, if AVB's listening, I'd just add quarter of a cup of chili powder to half a cup of canola oil and make your team drink it. Uh-huh. Maybe a double espresso and a cigarette. Do that. You then
3: it. you really do start to realise how many goals Gareth Bale scored for Tottenham, based on uh, how they're performing now. It's
0: true. It's true. They're um, like a team that's built to craft assists rather than goals. They had 31 shots in this game. Yeah, nothing to show for it. Newcastle. Suddenly, two wins on the trot. Fantastic win last week against
3: Chelsea. Good win against Tottenham. And they're not out of it now. Uh, Both Newcastle and West Bromwich Albion sitting just behind in a second peloton, leading a second peloton with uh, within wheels. wheels
0: Pelotons within pelotons We should say about Cruel What a blinder 14 saves Yeah uh, The one from Paulinho's header oh, He looks like a student Who's about to hit 7-11 With a bad case of the munchies <laughs> But he played this game Like he was the love child Of Hope Solo and Johnny Bench Yeah When he's on I think he's the best goalkeeper In the Premier League When
3: he's on He's the most doleful <laughs> Because he's uh, he's Unlike I and mean, I think that uh, De Gea is the best shot stopper In the Premier League But Cruel Is to me A total goalkeeper
0: uh, and a pretty phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal player. Interesting times for AVB, David. Yeah. The, the concussion, the lorry's handling, taking on Spurs fans and then starting to stagger in the league. It's going to be very interesting to see how he handles this pocket of turbulence. And if he learned anything from Stamford Bridge and the mishandling of the press, I think the next couple of weeks are, are time to show that. It is the first time since before he
3: came to White Hart Lane that there's been any rumblings from Spurs fans. About their play. Yep. Uh, they're all saying since
0: Clint Dempsey left, we can't score, man.
3: I know. <laughs> What's with that? It's been a love affair until now. Uh, Liverpool four, Fulham nil. Rog. Fulham, oh, their uh, abject lack of quality. Liverpool, searching confidence. Rog. Uh, Led to another slaughter. Two goals from Luis Suarez. Takes his tally to eight goals in six games, Roger. You just got back from Liverpool. I did. You were over there talking
0: to Stevie G. Stevie G. Talking to uh, Daniel Sturridge. Great guy. You didn't talk to Suarez. No. He's not really talking to the media. Talked to the Uruguayan media. Uh I talked to Brendan Rodgers. So the the little little trick of impersonating a Uruguayan
3: member of the media didn't
0: work. I don't have enough stubble. (laughs) Um, Stevie G, lovely guy. yeah <laughs> uh, Daniel Sturridge, talked beautifully and passionately. What an engaging guy. Can I just say his reputation and the reality, two very different things. Talked with real passion. I think the video will be up, uh, it'll be Does on the His reputation? Yeah, I think, I think his reputation is, is somewhat of a mercenary, a sulky. Well, he's, uh, a Christian. Um, he's a good he Christian. He is gentleman. He's a, he's a selfish strain. I mean, he's a lovely, engaging guy. loves America, uh-huh. adores the basketball, loves the Brooklyn Nets. Uh-huh. Um, and he talked about how frustrating it was to be at Chelsea to get five minutes a game, to feel that he had to come on and dazzle. Not completely L- true. Led to the chassis, but no one in the press a lot of games. wanted to talk to him. He said, you know, when you're not playing well or you're on the bench, you don't really get a chance to to say your mind. So he was on great form. And I will say very quickly, Brendan Rodgers, a lovely guy, very confident guy, amazingly confident. I did ask him the big question.
3: Uh, the self portrait, you asked him about that. No, I asked
0: him about Was uh, the self portrait behind him while you're interviewing him? He has him? two people who carry the self portrait behind him before he enters the room. All hail, Brendan Rogers is about to enter the room! Bugles? Um, no, there were no. I was a bit Good, disappointed. That's my thing. But I asked him about the envelopes. Yeah. And what did he say? I said, Who was in the envelopes? And he said, There were no names. There was no names. When I heard that out, it was as if the Berlin Wall had just fallen for a second. Santa Claus doesn't exist. That's exactly what it felt like. I felt devastated. I also asked him why he wears black all so, the time did on he, the sideline. Then run. he said there were no names. Then why did he do the envelopes if there were no names in them? Because he likes us talking about him. He told me he didn't like being Liverpool. He said um, I, I asked him what he learnt about uh, himself by watching the show. And he says, I didn't like it. I'm a very private person. Um, I, I know it was great for American supporters but I don't like being intruded and people seeing my private life and his hands did you just he's, look he's at them a, the whole time he's tiny in general he's a very small man a very so amazingly small man did he gesticulate at you with his hands with his, with his, little, his little fingers with his little you know hand, I sat arms. super far away from him yeah. so I so I could reduce his range and not be intimidated um, can we have a quick word about Luis Suarez yeah this was just Fulham, a team who seemed less and less interested in Premier League football um, but my God, Liverpool playing with such passion. Suarez is Premier League joint top scorer, despite missing the first five games. Eight <laughs> goals in six. Ten shots he had in this game, the most of any player this se- season. Here's a question no one in football's asking, and I don't know why, Davo. What was in Ivanovic's blood that has propelled Suarez to superhuman strength?
3: Wow, that's a good question. <laughs>
0: It's like Spider-Man's life changing wolf. after a bite. Do you think some, there was some wolf? I think it's in Ivanovich's blood, some th- sort of th- snow wolf. I think it's like Peter Parker. It's like he's he's acquired the agility and proportionate strength of an arachnid. I think it's the only logical explanation, David. But it's not like he's transformed into
3: a different person. He is just even more <sighs> Suarezi than he was before. He's just more Suarez-y. I don't know. He's not a different form. Do you know what I feel
0: sorry for? Yeah, Daniel Sturridge. Because he says he te- they have a telepathic relationship. Uh huh. That's a heavy cross to bear. Can you imagine seeing inside of Luis Suarez's mind? Yeah. Be like seeing inside of Ryan Seacrest. That's like Harry Potter and Voldemort. Oh, wouldn't wish it. His scar hurts.
3: Do you think Starage's scar hurts? <laughs> Constantly. I'm about to receive the ball from Suarez. My scar is hurting. That's so genius.
0: Now you tell me. I should have asked him. Yeah. God, there were no
3: names in the envelopes. No After names. all that. Well, Roger, a team playing like they have absolutely no idea that they're 11.38 through the Premier League season, Rog, in squeaky bum time. Southampton, 4-1. Devastation of Hull. Uh, they continue to ignore the doubters, playing such attractive football, climbing the table with a stellar performance from New England heroes with very un-English names:
0: Adam Lalana, <laughs> Jay Rodriguez, and Ricky Lambert. Yeah going to win the World Cup David I'll tell you with those three yeah we keep waiting for Southampton to fail and they are yet to show any sign of a wobble Yeah, collective team play surging in their veins and Lalana, goal in which you skipped through the gut of Hull City's defence like Olivia Newton John in a prime (laughs) I I don't know what you think about these call-ups I love them they're so richly deserved into England yeah they've just been called up into the England you you always say it's part of England's plan to call up yeah guys with foreign names yeah they're not just got the foreign sounding names that set them aside as English footballers. It's yeah. also another key trait. they're actually bloody good. yeah three or four three or four of Southampton's next games are against Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester City. yeah though the city game is at home, so that should be an easy three
2: points. Yeah
3: I'm going to be at the Chelsea game. That's the uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving. massive game uh, going to be there. I'm really genuinely looking forward to seeing Southampton play football. Uh, Just looking forward to seeing that team It's like back in their prime of the 70s I know, just really amazing When they were such a good team When you got a red and white striped team in Subutio Vertical stripes They always were Southampton Always Before Sunderland, before Stoke, before anybody else Southampton was the team you thought they were Laurie McMenemy's
0: red and white army
3: Without a doubt Uh, Rog, hate to bring it up Crystal (sighs) Palace, nil Nigel, nil Yeah Disappointing point, Rog a drab draw with uh, bottom of the table Palace and Distan and the fans going at each other at the end of the game.
0: What the haps? I, you know, back to back goalless draws. Yeah, for Nige, their fourth of the season. I have to say, watching this game, I felt like one man and one man only, Peter Pavlensky, <laughs> nailing my own him. To the cobblestones. That's
3: why, it read, was, that's <laughs> why we opened with Peter Lubalensky it's all about your scrotum.
0: I don't like to reduce everything back to football because there's serious stuff going on in Russia. But yeah. when I watched that video of him doing it, yeah, oh, it's what it felt like for me. Palace kept their team behind the ball. Everton just had no urgency and little know-how to break them down. We passed. We didn't move. The game was like a loop bath. And frankly, Crystal Palace had the better chances. One quick note on this team, Crystal Palace, their fans are incredible. Yeah. Shirts off in the cold, yep. man breasts to the fore, cheering their team from start to finish, even though cheering for this Crystal Palace team is like cheering for the future of the US Postal Service. <laughs> uh, uh, what, the one thing that really perturbed <laughs> me... my fellow South Londoners. Lane Baines. Yeah. Oh, it's passing, crossing, free kicks. Terrible. Made me worry what was on his mind. I spent last Thursday morning with Roberto Martinez. And I said to him, um, one of the questions I slipped in was, is Leighton Baines going to remain an Everton footballer after the January transfer window? And he said, it's hard. He's such a charismatic, wonderful guy, very optimistic man. He said, it's very hard to talk about the transfer window. It's like asking me, he goes, if it's going to be, what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. And I said, we're in England, we're in Liverpool, Roberto. It's going to be rainy tomorrow. And he patted me on the cheek and he goes, no, it's not. It's going to be sunny. It, wow. it rained, didn't David. It, it, did, it rained.
3: It did. Yeah, but not on Roberto Martinez's head. Yeah, Leighton Baines. I certainly I saw the end of that game and saw free kicks that you thought, oh, he's going to slot it in the top left. Do you know, not even clearing the wall. Worried, he,
0: worried, like him. worried he's got he Manchester like, United on his or mind. Or didn't
3: like the Bradley Wiggins comments from the uh, <laughs> from the opposing fans the other day. The Bradley Wiggins comments got to him. Um, and Lukaku, this feels like the kind of game where Lukaku would just bully the opposition uh, centre-backs to go and do, and strangely sort of uh, neutral. Honestly, look look
0: like we had Tracy Chapman playing up front in this game, talking (laughs) about a revolution. (laughs) Sounds like a
3: whisper. Uh, Too much. Anyway, uh, everybody's grouped at the top, Rog. I think it's going to be a long, long season of multiple narrative changes. Lots of English journalists right now ripping their
0: out. Well let's get the one man who can explain it all to us, Dave, onto the pod. Joining us now, Rog. Oh, one of our, one of our best mates. I really regard
3: I really regard him as one of our best mates in football. The White Knight. I wonder if he feels the same way. Arlo White, Rog, NBC's Premier League play-by-play voice. Arlo spent nine years with BBC Sport before jumping to become the face of the Seattle Sounders on television. A move which he parlayed into becoming NBC's lead MLS commentator, Leicester born and bred. Like Emil Heskey? Yes. Arlo has recently completed a two-week tour of the nation. That's the United States nation covering an MLS's playoffs. With his beloved Leicester City flying high in the championship, life is pretty sweet for our guest right now. Welcome back to the pod from the East Midlands in Derby. GFOP Arlo White.
2: Hello, chaps. It all sounds like it's going quite well when you read it like
3: that. Oh, it is. The return of the Mac. You're back in the East (laughs) Midlands. You're back home. Feels good. I'm sure it's moist and rainy and a bit cold. Yeah,
2: a little bit dark. I mean, you know, the A52 into Derby is oh. wonderful. After spending time in, in New York City and Houston and Portland and Chicago and going to a Monday night football game, yes, Derby is, is a wonderful place to be. Um, and I've, I've sort of reassimilated by watching three back-to-back Match of the Days this morning on my DVR. So
3: wow. well, what were you doing. watching? What were the matches?
2: Well, I, I missed them, didn't I? I missed the, the, the Premier League over the last two or three weekends, so I've been catching up. I'm uh, currently on West Brom against Chelsea, oh. uh, which was a cracker from the weekend.
3: Oh, well, I won't ruin the ending for you. The, um, <laughs> so what did you think? Did you, did you watch Arsenal Man
0: U?
2: I didn't. I was flying at the time, um, so I've got that on BVR somewhere as well, so I'm going to dig that one out. because It sounded like it was a, a very interesting 90 minutes. Kirstie, yes.
0: does it feel funny now? You've been doing the English Premier League for the first couple of months of the season... You've established yourself, taken the baton for me and Dart. You've become America's English Premier League voice. When you're watching games which you didn't commentate on because you were here covering MLS, does it feel like you know someone else is taking out your girlfriend, dating your girlfriend? Do you feel a bit jealous? What, a bit? Oh, does it irritate you? Or like,
2: well, yeah, it's like an open relationship you didn't realise you were in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been there. Um, it was, it was a strange. Uh, experience, I felt a little bit displaced, and um, uh, I was in a, a different universe for a, for a few days because when, you, when you're involved in Premier League or any event if you're doing the Olympic Games or the World Cup you become enveloped by that, that entire event and you, you go into the bubble of it and you, you, you struggle to see outside of it so for those 12 days that I've just come back from from the States I was in the MLS bubble because I had to catch up an awful lot on things that I'd missed but yes it was a slightly odd experience I, I, felt, I, felt, I felt I was being too timed a little by Graeme Lasseau and, and Lee Dixon so uh, I've been on the phone to make sure that our relationship is still smooth and I'm still there, number one in there well, by the way,
0: MLS. What, getting back on that beat, do you approach the task differently in terms of narrative?
2: Um, that's a good question, Rod. I, 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 a little, I suppose, um, because I suppose MLS, in terms of its national, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the national consciousness, that in terms of the storylines and a lot of the players, they're not known perhaps to the, the lay football fan in America, so I think a lot of our information for those games comes from our meetings with the players and the managers beforehand, because the access that we get is absolutely phenomenal. I go to bed the night before a game with both starting 11s. The stickers are done. They're, they're on the they're on the bedside
3: table. You go to bed the no, night we... before with both starting <laughs> 11s on. Are we breaking news here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Caligula. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing all, all work. Them. All of them was wild, guys. Okay. <laughs> Lord White of Leicester.
0: <laughs> he, t- he, he's, he takes his work very, <laughs> very seriously. seriously. He takes no pleasure in it. We go to
3: it. bed with both starting 11s. I'm very fair. <laughs> No but it is different you get actually what you're saying is is you get so much more access to the players and their coaches and yeah. their game plans and their background and that of course affects your preparation for the games.
2: Yes because you you can pick their brains whereas you know in the Premier League I think the storylines are obvious guys aren't they because people are talking about them. And the newspapers are writing about them all week, so you kind of kind of got to reflect what the the national mood and the national conversation is. Whereas you've got a bit more license in Major League Soccer. There are there are storylines that, that people in the game know about, but if you find some little nuggets of information from the players or the coaches that you find interesting, and you think other people will find interesting, then you can kind of dictate it yourself somewhat.
0: We you mentioned stickers, like and we're very keen to hear about your methodology. How are you? I mean, Dave, I drew out of you on our serious show, the sticker fact, but
3: uh, that, that, that you prepare for all of your games by preparing stickers on every single player in the starting 11 and the reserves. And that's what you consult in formation during the game. That's right. And I believe I a mean, board they're... held up by a young eunuch is the way you described <laughs> it on the radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use the eunuch in the US or is that just in the UK?
2: <laughs> we, we have we have a team of 3 in the UK.
3: Good. Yeah.
2: Um and not, not they're not allowed into the states. I don't know if yeah. they couldn't get visas. We yeah. they, they were turned away at JFK. Standard. Yeah. Or unit volunteer pass. Final pass. packing violent away. very disappointed they were. Uh, yeah, yet the sticker system is is in place and and it's re- it's it's religious for me that this this whole pre-match routine of doing them. Um, And I'm sure most commentators will tell you the same, but you've got this sheet of Avery stickers that you you put four or five facts for each player down. Uh, The appearances, every little bit of storyline you can think of, where they're from, how old they are. Um, And, uh, you know, in in MLS, because we've got the starting elevens the night before, you can produce uh, the board the night before. But in the Premier League, when you get the team one hour before, it is a frenzy of sticky-backed paper flying all over the place and the, and the poor souls because you do 25 for each squad and the poor souls that haven't made it into the 18 are discarded unceremoniously into the uh into the trash can by the side of the desk in the gantry um but that's that's the way it works and it works for me and i think most commentators have their own system mine is the sticker system and uh and i love it
0: can you please we
3: desperately need some stickers uh from avery the finest sticker uh, sticker company in the world uh, we're hoping to get some sponsor money from them um uh, we'd love some of those sets of stickers. Even the stickers you're thinking of discarding, they might even have more value than the first team stickers. <laughs> we'd love to uh, give to were, have a competition. Were you a stamp give collector those... in your youth, David. Oh no.
0: You sound like one. I love no, that. They may have more never. value
3: than the ones that are is going to discard. No, I'm a capitalist. I like money, but no, no, I'm not a stamp collector.
0: Can you take a photo, although is what I guess we're saying before the next game that you do? We want should we? These things are works of art. They need yeah. to be seen. Like Damien Hurst's.
2: I can do that for you, and I shall do it from the Ernst Happel Stadium um, next Tuesday night in Vienna, ahead of the Austria against the USA. International friendly. How about that? Oh, oh. USA.
3: USA.
0: We'd love it. We would love it. That is a game Rod really wants the United States to win. Where, God, do I ever. It's more on the line for that one than I could ever begin to talk about. 1937. What? Can you... (laughs) Can you give us some of the secret laws of commentating? I mean, you and I spoke, we had a little coffee recently and you gave me one gem. You said commentators should not be doctors. They can't prognosticate from the booth. You said that you started about rules that are etched in stone that good commentators know should never be broken.
2: Yeah, I think some commentators have their own rules and some broadcasting organisations instill their philosophy on those that, that, that speak on their air. And I think it was something that that I thoroughly agree with um in terms of uh, not speculating about injuries because we're not doctors so from a gantry that could be 70 yards away from the action <laughs> i always have a little chuckle to myself when i hear somebody in a booth saying well it looks like a groin injury or a grade two hamstring tear um, i i find it fascinating that anyone could diagnose that from 70 yards away who doesn't who isn't a qualified doctor so isn't
0: there a famous you know, olympic incident of this
2: there was a famous Olympics incident, yes, I think around the early 80s when somebody speculated um, when a female athlete went to the ground and I think it was Ingrid Christiansen, the Norwegian, a great Norwegian runner from, oh, from yesterday year, who had had problems um, uh, with her uh, ovarian cysts leading into the Olympic Games, which is obviously a very serious situation and when she went to ground, the ground spe- the commentator immediately Screened that she was having problems with her ovarian cysts, and the summarizer, the analyst, said, "Yes, it's definitely an internal injury." And they must have been eighty yards away. And how would they? it was such a sensitive situation? Anyway, it's such a no-no to do that. I think uh, let's leave that to the to the trainers. Um, when,
0: the doctors, when Chesney next I goes down, I want you to turn to Graham Laso and be like, "It's ovarian cysts, Graham." <laughs> so how do you? It's a classic case. So how do you view? How do you view commentators
3: and? analysts, viewing referee, refereeing decisions. Because something I notice quite a lot not on your broadcast, Arlo, but something I notice quite a lot in watching football is very often even with the use of slow-mo, it's very, very difficult for analysts. Once they have stated that they think something was or was not a foul or was or was not a penalty despite any evidence to the contrary of their opinion it's very difficult for them to uh recycle back from that point
2: yes and and that's why i'd always say wait for the replay first Um, unless you are absolutely sure and there is no question in your mind um, what has just happened there, wait for a replay, because replays can reveal something very embarrassing, potentially. Um, and it's very rare that you hear someone say, i oh, hold my hands up, I was completely wrong. Now, my, my view on it is, and my approach to it is, and this is what I, I said um, numerous times in the United States whilst covering MLS and, and uh, various other games, was the, the way that a, a game of football is officiated by one referee and two, what were linesmen, what are now assistant referees, was devised in the year of the Battle of Gettysburg, in 1863. Yeah. Good battle. Now, the world has moved on in that time, hasn't it? And, and the game's moved on in that time. But the referees and the, the officials are still in in the same spot and they're not getting an, an awful lot of help. So I've got sympathy. My, my, my initial reaction and my default position is to have a little bit of sympathy for referees. I know that swims against the tide somewhat. Um, but what we've done at NBC... To follow up that is that we had good contact and we're always in contact with Peter Walton from the pro organisation which controlled referees in North America and we're making great strides um, with, the, with the guys in England as well the professional referees uh, and, and game officials association. So um, we're, we're on conference calls with these guys, we're asking them about decisions and about interpretations and about the laws of the game so that we can educate possibly a little bit better from the booth. Now, we don't always get it right. um, And sometimes we're confused as well. um, But by and large, we try and stay ahead of the curve. So we're not, again, it goes into speculating.
3: And and also... Some
2: former players don't know the laws. You you kind of pin them down. There's no intention
0: there. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And you you hear those sort of generalisations thrown out to hammer the referee. And and actually, they're, they're not based on on the actual laws of the game. So we, we do try, uh, and again, it's just part of this thorough approach that, that we're, we're, we're trying to bring to it. We do try and stay ahead of the curve a little bit uh, and have a little bit of sympathy for referee. I will always call, when I can call up a replay, i.e. in, in Major League Soccer, I always ask for a replay of where the referee was. I yes. think the classic example
3: Great of, of point. a
2: referee that was hammered was the Thierry Henry double handball against Ireland um, yeah. ahead of the, the World Cup. And the referee on that occasion would have had to have literally seen through the bodies of four men to see that handball. Now, he could have got help from from the other officials, obviously, and maybe it was a dereliction of duty on their behalf. But the referee himself couldn't physically see it. So I think that's always a good starting point. But we don't have control over the pictures. You're absolutely
3: right. You're absolutely right. The referees not only don't have replay, they have to watch it in real time from the position where they are. And I think that's the thing. That yep. that television viewers very often miss in terms of watching
0: these decisions. It's <sighs> a beginner's mistake to trust the French, David. Oh yeah.
3: Well, we've spoken <laughs> a lot about the French this week on our radio show, also at length. Yeah, at length.
2: What are the golden
0: rules? Oh, well,
2: we, we talked about uh, not speculating about injuries. I, I don't know whether you, you'll appreciate this one. The word "unbelievable" is banned. <laughs> <laughs> because if it's unbelievable, it didn't just happen, did it? <laughs> Surely. So um, our boss, and I, and I concur, is not a fan of the word unbelievable. So Can that you is
3: use, from, how about unfathomable? Can you use unfathomable?
2: I think unfathomable. And I did, just to test the water once about a year ago, say barely believable. Oh, good. <laughs> And and it passed muster, actually. That was fine. What happens if you
0: say unbelievable, Arlo? Are there there electrodes involved? What happens if you say unbelievable?
2: Yes, yes. Someone does flick a switch. (laughs) And um, and things do go blurry and and hot for about five seconds. Um, So that's a golden
3: rule. What's another golden rule? I love the golden
2: rules. The golden rules, they're the two ones that are sort of hammered into us i think um and and again i do agree with the philosophy behind them um other ones if i'm speaking during a replay um it had better be for good reason uh, because that's the time that the analyst really sort of earns his corn if you like that's that's his time to to describe what's going on well to to describe the why not not what you can see well he's hit it from 25 yards and it's gone over the bar because we can see that Um, And this is what Lee Lee Dixon and Graham Lasseau are so good at, is is pointing out something in a replay that you didn't know or or the reason why that that just happened.
0: And Tim Howard.
2: Yes, and Tim Howard as well, who I thought was good at that as well, you know. Um, so if I'm still speaking during a the replay Then um, then there, there better be good reason for it I, I try and get out as soon as I possibly can You know, like on a goal call You try to, you try to sum up and contextualise What you've seen as, as quickly as you possibly can Lay out a little bit Let you hear a bit of the crowd noise And then the replay comes on And that's all for the guys to, to analyse why that just happened what So you... uh, I'd probably get a slap wrist If I started talking over too many replays
3: What is your drink or snack of choice Pre-game, half-time, after the game?
2: um dk our producer always comes with a bag of percy pigs um and they have become do you, do you remember the old sweets the percy pig have yeah. you been in america too long i do know do
0: remember them just do describe remember. them for our american audience
2: well they're, they're like a soft soft candy in the shape of a, a pig's face uh they're very sweet give you a bit of energy they're, they're delicious they're, they're highly addictive yeah, um, And if I don't have at least four Percy Pigs before going on air, that we've got a problem. So, uh, so DK, <laughs> David Kane, um, he, he started it. So it, it wasn't my fault. This wasn't my own obsession. Uh, he brought Percy Pigs to the first game, and now that's a tradition. Um, but we always, I always have to have a nice, strong coffee. It's getting colder every week. and uh, Maybe a banana at half-time. But oh. Other than that, yes.
3: Do you have milk other in your coffee? That, no hard and fast rule. Milk?
2: Cream? <laughs> sugar? A tiny little dash of milk and two sugars.
3: Wow. Please.
0: Interesting. Wouldn't have taken Arlo White for being a two-sugar man. Do you warm your voice up beforehand? Oh, that kind of thing. <laughs> I know some commentators like Arlo oh, White. Martin 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 Tyler has a very kind of exact regime to get that vocal nodes into place before he says hello and welcome to the Old Apple Stadium. Do you go through any kind of vocal warm-ups?
2: Not really. Does he really? Does he go through a warm-up?
0: Oh! Oh. He says, (laughs)
2: oh, low-white. The, um... his voice I go, voice back, is I go quite to the back different. of the booth and shout, "Unbelievable!" at the top of my voice. <laughs> unbelievable!
3: Unbelievable! <laughs>
2: His voice it, yeah, is it, quite it, different. It's ruined that song for me now, Mark. Because that's yeah. one of my favourite songs by EMF, and I saw them in concert. And now, I, whenever I hear that song, you're unbelievable. I'm like,
3: really? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? really? It because then be, you could, yeah. exactly wouldn't be true. Wouldn't have actually happened. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I know. You get into a dangerous
0: territory if you start analysing song <laughs> lyrics uh, based on their validity. I mean, you and I both, as kids, are oh, like. We both spent time taping ourselves, commentating games. I mean, I just spent a lot of my youth with a radio tape player, that old kind of 1980s technology, commentating on a fictional game which took place in my mind in which Everton always thrashed Liverpool 5-0 in my little high-pitched voice. And Bob Latchford, they can't stop him. There's no stopping Bob Latchford. Um, you—I you, sounded very much like Stevie Gerrard's normal talking voice. Actually, you took it one step further. You actually would go to games and tape yourself live. But look, how, can you believe your job is now doing what thousands of kids dreamt of doing?
2: No, I can't. I, and and the the 14 or 15 year old me that used to go down to filbert street uh, the old leicester city stadium which is sadly now a, a parking lot and student apartments um with this tape player um and it was a, it was quite a nice walkman it was a walkman recorder Um, With the TDK like C90 tapes that used to go in there, double sided, 45 minutes each side, perfect. Yeah. Uh, Unless there was a lot of stoppage time.
3: Oh, no, enough to take you across the whole nation of Belgium in a car, a
2: double sided (laughs) C90. (laughs) Done it? Yeah. Do you still have any of these tapes, Harley? I, I do, they're, somewhere, they're in a box somewhere and Can I remember you... lending some to a friend of mine a while ago because he, he was the analyst on some of them and he wanted to take a trip down memory lane But we, we want to uh, play them Arlo I, like... I will get them back I will Yeah, get yeah. Them back when
3: we come over uh, in the new year to stay with you and it was a very kind invitation Arlo, we really appreciate that uh, we're going to dig around in the attic we're going to find those tapes, we're going to come back with some stickers I can't wait, it's going to be amazing I don't it, think I've it, ever been it's... to Derby
2: no, no um, it sounds very glamorous doesn't it um, but uh, so I, we used to take this tape machine down, and, and I remember once uh, uh, Leicester hadn't scored for something like four months, and and Ali Mocklin whacked <laughs> one in the top corner against <laughs> West Ham on New Year's Eve 1989, and all you heard was five high-pitched screams and the tape player hitting the floor. Um, we forgot, we just forgot ourselves for a moment. Unbelievable! Commenting. Unbelievable! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unbelievable! <laughs> <laughs> Lester
3: hadn't scored for four months. That was football <laughs> in the nineteen eighties. Right
0: there. So good.
3: <sighs> Brilliant.
0: Get the Percy Pigs out.
3: Arlo, oh, thanks so much. Uh it's a joy having you on the pod. And we've said it before, we've said it to you many times before. We just love your work. We love listening to you. You elevate this game for uh fans in the United States, all GFOPs. Just universally positive feedback through our people you're the male Rebecca Luke yeah
2: (laughs) well that's all that's all I can aspire to that'll do me for now Rebecca is absolutely terrific
3: yeah you get more close-ups Lord uh, Lord (laughs) White of Derby or Leicester the White Knight the White Knight the White Knight Uh, thank you so much what's your next game
2: uh, the next game is that Austria-US game next That's Tuesday. The and then we're back into uh, action with your boys at West Ham. West Ham versus Chelsea and Man City Spurs. So straight back into it with some crackers. Looking forward to that. Well, we oh, can't wait. you bring
0: in so much joy to so many people, are they? So thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah. Well, I've got to say, it's, it's a pleasure to do it on behalf of all the all the fans in the, in in the USA. It really is a dream job. And thank you, chaps, for your continued support. It's always a pleasure.
3: Well, be careful in Austria. There's still a war on.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Thanks, Arlo White Thanks, mate Take care
3: What a man, Roger, The word that shall not be uttered <laughs> Unbelievable. 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 We're adding that to the end of the pod from now on. That's another new word. Unbelievable. It's so good. Okay, Rog, on to the Ravens from Dan Kaplan. Dear Rog and Dave, I've often wondered why top-tier footballers worldwide, not named Beckham, aren't put in as many positions to publicly speak, whether on TV, being interviewed, or otherwise. There isn't a top professional athlete in any major American sport I haven't heard speak a ton of times. Yet after all these years, I have no clue what Wayne Rooney... Or Ricky Lambert's voices sound like, for example. Maybe Leighton Baines loves to smoke long-bottom leaf and drink ale at the Green Dragon. I wouldn't know since I've never actually heard him speak. The focus, at least in the BPL, uh, leans heavily on the coaches, a player's purpose to get from the cameras to protect their mythic status or to perhaps protect themselves from the dumb things they may spew. It seems in the US the dumb athletes never lack the camera time. Could the difference be cultural?
0: Well, it's the construct of American broadcasting. They have wisely edited these guys out. Simon Kuiper wrote a great article at the Financial Times a couple Ah. of years ago where he analyzed the biographies of Ashley Cole, Wayne Rooney, Jamie Carragher, and Stevie J, Stevie Gerrard, who most of them left school essentially when they were 11. They're not that bright. But um, I I once had my worst moment as a broadcaster was when I had to do an in-store in Boston with Manchester United. And they sent up Evra, Wayne Rooney, Macheda, and Raphael. And I was told that I could ask two questions only of Evra. No more. No more. Because he'd get angry if I asked him more than the others. Um, So I opened with a question to Evra, whose first language is not English, and he answered beautifully like a poet. And then I asked Macheda. I said to Macheda, when did you know you were going to be a professional footballer? And he just smiled, looked at me and goes, am I a grown-up professional footballer? And I was like, Okay, can't really get on with you. I said to Raphael, a beautiful I can't remember what the question was, I asked him a question and he leant into the microphone in front of a thousand people and said No English So Raphael no English, Macheda clearly off his marbles and then I went to Wayne Rooney, asked him a question, he goes And I speak English, I'm from the, I could not understand a word this guy was saying. So I asked Everett the second question, answered it beautifully like a French poet. Looked over, Raphael smiled at me, machado's eyes were boggling. I asked Rooney another question, which no one, could. he mumbled into the, <laughs> the microphone. This programme was meant to go on for 40 minutes. I knew people had driven from all over the New England area to meet mighty Manchester United. After four minutes of the programme, I leant into the microphone and just said, ladies and gentlemen, you 2012 Manchester United, let's hear it for them. And I ran off stage. They're very hard to understand. I just don't think America's ready, David. From Bruce,
3: I would say that there are some Premier League footballers, your own Phil Jagielka, for example, a wonderful post-match interviewer.
0: Yep, smart guy. A a handful, a handful of great guys like Gary Neville, who's proven himself to be.
3: Bruce Longacre, the second in Sacramento, California, dear positive and toilet. In my first ten years of watching the Premiership, I was an agnostic fan, cheering for good matches instead of anything. Come on, good matches. Last season, I gave Tottenham a trial run as my team, and made it official this year. I am now a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Here is my (laughs) problem: after years of indifference, how do I conjure? The proper amount of hate for Arsenal. As a lifelong San Francisco Giants fan, I know about rivalries, and I truly hate the effing Dodgers. Yet, that was built up from 20-plus years of watching games and sharing that hate with my friends. Should I go with the fake it till you make it approach and just keep telling myself that I hate them and eventually it will become true? Should I lock myself in a room for 24 hours and watch clips of Piers Morgan blathering on about them? Don't and, do that, that's, for God's well, sake. Well, I think it's a kind of a good idea. Should I even strive <laughs> for this level of hate or should I leave that to the folks in the UK that have the proper history for it? What should I and other new fans of Premiership Clubs do? Great Royal question. GFRP,
0: Bruce the second, great name. Great name. Great question. Yeah. T- I'd love to hear from other GFOPs. I bet you a lot of them are very creative ways to work themselves up into a larder, David. I don't believe, Rog, that you need
3: to hate in order to love. Oh, I, I know that is going I do, David. I... What is life without hate? No, I believe in love. Don't like hate. You don't? Oh, good. No, don't like hate. There's no team that you just detest. I think if there's any team I detest, it's Arsenal, but not anywhere near... Level I've said eight. this before. I've said this many... actually, very often,
0: I really like watching Arsenal play football, and in the Champions League, I will cheer Crazy for Arsenal. Talk. I will cheer Mad. for Arsenal in
3: Champions League. So they League. get
0: more money so they can compete better against you further down. That makes no rational economic sense. Have I said before on this pod that if there was a team with Pol Pot at left back, yeah. Ch- Chairman Mao at right back, Vlad the Impaler, and Hitler playing as the central defenders playing Manchester United, I would cheer for that team against Manchester United, such as my loathing. I mean, Bruce Longacre II, I'd say read up on your team's history, learn the reasons behind the blind hatred, the stories, the flashpoints, the characters, and, and then believe me, if you've chosen Spurs, just watch for a little bit. You'll soon feel plenty shafted and you'll have the hate creep up on you like a demented Bichon Frise.
3: Rog, this week's Premier League Manager Fight Club, round six. Oh, this was a bloody affair. More blood than we expected. More blood knuckles. than any other Crack knuckles so far. Gus Poi torn, torn nails. Versus Andre Villas uh, Boas. Took the jacket off, fought in his waistcoat, which I, I, I like the style, rolled up the white sleeves. It was a squeaker, fifty one percent to forty nine percent. I would call that an upset
0: over Gus Poyer. I couldn't believe it, David. I couldn't believe it. The minority position, well articulated by Dave C on our voting. He said, you think a guy who willingly decided to manage Sunderland has anything to lose. This (laughs) one won't be close. It's Gus by a mile. But Steve Boston, I think he pretty well named it. He said, AVB will win. He will fight on fully, even when concussed. Oh, so good. Four rounds to go. Round seven, a heavyweight bout for the ages. Two men who have nothing but respect for each other. Malky McKay against Steve Clark. Blood, Ooh. sweat and fears, David Yeah, God, very I, good. Who would win that? Uh, Steve Clark for me you, I He's nev- just duh and Scottish and hard I have a rule in life that you never bet against a man called Malky <laughs> That's Very good, very smart uh,
3: Your week looks like this, Rod Mexico versus New Zealand, the big one uh, that is uh, this Wednesday, November 13th, three fifteen. <gasps> p.m. Eastern Time. On Come on, the All white. Come on, Shane. Smelt. Uh, England versus Chile on Friday, November 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports. And uh, stay tuned afterwards for Crowd Goes Wild. Uh, USA versus Scotland on Friday, November 15th at 3 p.m. Scotland. Eastern. Scotland at 3 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. Austria versus the United States Tuesday, November 19th. Do them,
0: America. Do them.
3: England versus Germany. God, there's, what is this? Is this a, just the axis of evil? There's they, still a war going on, Rog. Why is on no one Tuesday, playing Hungary? November 19th at 3 p.m. Eastern time Definitely on I'm Fox Sports. Uh, and then the uh, return leg, New Zealand. Uh, versus Mexico, Rog, Wednesday, November 20th at 1 a.m. Eastern
0: I'll, Time. I'll be up ESPN. all night for that, and bum we're not going to Wellington, David. I love the all-whites. I me love, too. I love, love, love the all-whites. Come we're going to we take a week off, David. Oh, we are? Yeah, we've got a secret project that we're going to be working on we next do? week in the laboratory conditions. When are you going to tell me about it? Uh, you know exactly what it is. Next week, every oh, night. Oh, I do. Yeah. Next week, we'll, every night. We'll be
3: working very hard next week. Yeah. It does not involve Roger's scrotum and nails. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. Uh, Roger, rise and pie.
0: Oh. Courage. Dominate. Stay in charge. War pig. I've got yours.
3: Vendor punct. Kung fu fighting America. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, love you, Roger. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs. Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click
2: on Podcasts.
0: Hey Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
1: Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would, in the plumber 27 days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the <laughs> business. He's not guarding <laughs> me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies, Woo! and it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time Trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet Trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer Trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow six trophies on the one. Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to six trophies ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus.